Hello and welcome to the OnFit DMI podcast where we discuss key trends and new developments in financial innovation and the policy, technological and regulatory challenges related to digital finance. For those of you confused by this new strange but pleasant voice, I'm Sinan Yulmaz, account and content manager at OnFit and I'm pleased to say you'll be hearing more of this voice in future DMI podcasts. I'm joined today by Lewis McLennan, which some of you may already know. He's the editor of our Digital Monetary Institute. He's done many of these podcasts before and is certainly the brain behind many of the reports we put together throughout the year. Hello. Yeah, thanks for uh, thanks for having me on, Sinan. Great to be here. Yeah, yeah. Uh, thanks for having me on. To be honest, I'm, I, it's me that's making the first um, appearance. Yeah, you're the new host, though. This is it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Ho- ho- hopefully, it continues as is. Um, and for those of you that enjoy our podcasts, we have some great news. We'll be introducing a new podcast platform focusing on DMI-related content. So do keep an eye on social media and our newsletter for when this takes place. Today, we're here to talk about everything surrounding the downfall of FTX, given that Mr. Sam Bankman-Fried has been arrested and has charges brought against him by the SEC, CFTC and the Justice Department in the United States. Lewis, uh, could you give us a quick summary of what what happened with FTX? I know it's, it's going to be difficult doing it quickly, but, um, you know, as, as well as some of the domino effects that t- took place. Yeah, sure. I mean, as you say, it's quite a, a, a tricky one to be clear on exactly what's happened. And I think until the, the court cases have, have been resolved, it'll be difficult to, to be precise on this. But uh, back in early November, uh, the Binance CEO, Changpeng Zhao CZ, um, uh, announced that, that he had concerns about FTX's balance sheet and uh, Binance had assets collateralized with FTX's uh, native cryptocurrency, FTT. Um, that that caused a collapse in, in the value of uh, FTT and uh, basically what, what we would think of in traditional finance as a, a good old-fashioned bank run on FTX with uh, depositors scrambling to, to get their money away from a, a platform that... Uh, that they had lost confidence in. It turned out that was uh, that was justified. Um, FTX uh, was launched as an exchange to provide uh, services for Alameda Research, uh, which is a, a hedge fund that uh, that uh, Sam Bankman-Fried launched uh, a couple of years ago to take advantage of some arbitrage opportunities he saw in the in the cryptocurrency market. Um, it turns out that. Uh, you, customer deposits on FTX, which is the, the largest, second largest cryptocurrency exchange by, by volume until a few months ago. Uh, customer deposits had been used, uh, by Alameda Research to, to fund some of their, uh, leverage positions, many of which had, had not, not gone well. So there was, uh, a hole in the balance sheet to the tune of some $8 billion, uh, that, um, FTX is, is now bankrupt and uh, John J. Ray III uh, is the, the administrating CEO and is uh, doing his best to, to work out exactly uh, what, what FTX has and what it owes and to claw back as much of that value for, for users as possible. Just to jump in there, um, I remember you saying something to me a couple of weeks ago, um, you know, 
there's clear clear regulation around this uh, in you know traditional finance and and, and it seems like crypto are just coming to realize why this regulation is put into place I, you had a phrase I, I can't remember what you said but you 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 worded it so so well in in, in just a sentence or two Yeah, I think in traditional finance, we just take for granted uh, certain standards like uh, uh, the hygiene around customer deposits, client segregation of funds. Uh, these are things we just take for granted in, uh, in, in traditional finance because they're, they've been very heavily regulated for a long time. And uh, uh, many, many people looking at the cryptocurrency industry assumed that these standards were, were being upheld there as well. And it's turned out to just not be the case. Oh, yeah. And then coming back to the domino effects that I was asking about, um, since, you know, the new new CEO was put into place, it seems like companies like BlockFi have also, you know, experienced some issues. Is there any other domino effects, um, you know, in the industry after the fallout of um, fall down or what should we say of FTX? Yeah, again, it's difficult to uh, to jump the gun here. You don't want to announce that somebody is going to be uh, in scope for uh for for big losses when it turns out they're they're going to be okay but block as you say are, are likely to be in scope it generally and this is something that became clear during the terra luna collapse uh earlier on this year the cryptocurrency industry is uh is very exposed to itself that is a lot of firms in there have substantial lending operations with each other many of which are collateralized by cryptocurrency assets. That's why they're lending to each other, because they're prepared to accept cryptocurrency assets as collateral. What we see is that when one of these big players uh, gets into trouble uh, and we see the the assets lose value and the result of that is that the collateral uh, supporting these loans uh, is also falling in value and and you get a, a ripple effect spreading throughout the industry. One comforting thing is that the crypto it's very exposed to itself, uh, but there is likely to not be very much contagion outside of the cryptocurrency industry because not that many major banks uh, or pension funds, etc., have uh, hugely leveraged positions to the to the cryptocurrency market. And just on the topic of reserves, um, the BIS Bank for International Settlements recently made a statement saying that commercial banks can hold 2% of their reserves in, in, in Bitcoin. So, um, there is, you know, maybe somewhat of exposure to the crypto market, maybe not, um, tokens like FTT though. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a big and important development, but there's, there's, uh, a big distinction to be drawn between having some reserves there under risk management procedures and, uh, and accepting that as collateral for, for loans. So it's very different to say, I want to borrow you know, $50 million, here's $100 million of, of Bitcoin to, to collateralize that. You know, then when the Bitcoin value falls 70% as it's done this year, then the bank has to call you up and ask you for, for more collateral. And uh, that's happening throughout the margin calls like that are happening throughout the cryptocurrency industry at the moment and uh, are very unlikely to happen in the traditional finance industry. Yeah, no, no, you're, you're certainly right to say that. Also, coming back to Mr. Bankman-Fried um, and the whole situation, all of those activities at, at FTX, you know, led to the SEC charging the former chief with two counts of civil securities fraud, the CFTC charging Mr. Bankman-Fried and FTX with two counts of violating the anti-fraud provisions of the Commodity Exchange Act. 
and the US Justice Department bringing eight criminal charges against Mr. Bankman-Fried. That includes conspiracy to commit wire fraud on customers, wire fraud on lenders, commodities fraud, securities fraud, money laundering, and defrauding the United States and violating the campaign finance law. Though it is important to mention he is yet to stand trial and be convicted of these charges. So there was a time where I'm not sure if you remember Lewis, but I very I remember it very clearly in my mind. Um, there was a time where Mr. Bankman-Fried was was presented as a boy wonder face of crypto in the United States. Uh, what 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 seems to have went over the the heads of everyone on the hill, or you know everyone, or the rest of us uh, listening in on on you know on our TVs and on, on our computers? Yeah, I mean he absolutely was. Uh, I think um you know you only have to look at the uh, the really gushing reports um, written by the hedge funds that that took that, you know that lent him money and took equity positions uh, to realize just how exciting people found his uh, his pitch. Um, you know, he was he was well under 30 at that point and uh, just projected an air of confidence and excitement uh, around us. And, you know, he was making huge amounts of money uh, from that Alameda Research hedge fund arbitrage play. Um, so, there was, you know, that that gave people a lot of confidence. He seemed to really understand the industry. Um, the other thing is that he was one of the leading voices in the cryptocurrency world calling for more regulation of the industry you know he's not alone in that uh, a lot of people have, have have been making those same sorts of noises but you know he donated a lot uh to um to various uh members of congress in in america to uh, to support their campaigns to to bring regulation to the cryptocurrency industry and he, was, he was always at conferences and events uh talking about how important it was and he had a very well, uh, well-crafted pitch and image uh, that that everyone seems to have just been taken in by for plain and sinker. It did seem, you know, a lot of people across the country or across the world did idealize him, and you know that that what he's made um, in, you know, the crypto world under the age of thirty. But it, it it's clear as day now that there was some foul play involved in, you know, getting to where he was. Talking about crypto regulation, you know, the the European Union is soon introducing their markets in crypto asset regulation, Michael, for sure. And it, and it will be enforced in or after Q3 2024. I'm curious if you think that this would have changed anything or, you know, if if it would prevent it happening again at all. Yeah, it's a really interesting question. Um, I think. Well, first of all, MICA is a very important uh, bit of regulation. Uh, it's not perfect. There are things about it that, that people will take issue with and, and will want to, to see change, particularly around uh, some of the, the accounting uh, for, for digital assets that it, that it lays down. Um, but it does, it is an important step in providing some of the clarity uh, that, that people are looking for in this, in this sector. You know, making sure people understand what is and isn't uh, legal. However, the question of whether it would have prevented what's happened at FDX is, is an interesting one. FDX uh, is domiciled is headquartered in the Bahamas, uh, and they the Bahamas uh, made it very clear that they they wanted to play host to uh, to businesses like FDX uh, with the hope that it would generate. Uh, good tax revenue and and lucrative employment for for Bahamian citizens. Uh, I don't think that's really panned out with FTX for for a number of reasons. Uh, but there is 
likely to be an issue with jurisdictions uh, like that making themselves uh, attractive from a regulatory regulatory perspective. Um, so, you know, how how much can MICA do to prevent something like this uh, in a completely different jurisdiction remains to be seen. The other point is that Sam Bankman fried has been charged with a lot of crimes, and if he's found guilty, we'll, we'll spend a long time in jail. What he was doing is already illegal. We don't need new laws to tell us that fraud is illegal. What we need are the laws we have around this to be enforced properly, which was clearly not happening in the Bahamas, assuming that uh, he's guilty of what he's accused of. So while laws like the market that's in crypto assets regulation are uh, are very important and, and valuable for the industry, and, and though not perfect, a very important step, they're, preventing crime is uh, is a question of enforcement rather than new regulation. And uh, there there will presumably be uh, regulators and enforcement agencies around the world looking a lot more carefully uh, uh, at businesses like at businesses like FDX to see if others are uh, are benefiting from uh, the same lack of oversight the FDX was benefiting from. Yeah, no, I, th- I think you're right to say that. As you know, I personally believe this this was great for the you know. Of course, a lot of people lost money. Um, a lot of people that were using the platform were not able to or may not be able to recover their funds. But in terms of crypto asset regulation worldwide, I think it's opened up the eyes of individuals and, you know, regulators across the world. There's There's been a lot of talk about Enron as well, as as you mentioned a little earlier, the CEO appointed to FTX after they filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy was the same individual appointed to Enron in the early 2000s. I'm curious, um, did the how does the FTX situation compare to uh, to, to the Enron situation? Yeah, it's an interesting comparison to make. Uh, I think um, in terms of the scale of money that's missing, uh, particularly adjusting for inflation, I think Enron was uh, was definitely bigger. Uh, but um, the the CEO John J. Ray the uh, has pointed out that the big difference is that essentially in the competence uh, of the record keeping. So at Enron, uh, everything was there you know the, the crimes were committed but everything was was there in uh in the accounts uh because they had proper corporate accounting practices uh nothing like that existed at FDX uh you know there there's huge holes in the 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 data that they've kept on on their operations and in that respect it's it's a much messier and more difficult to uh more difficult to untangle uh web of of assets and liabilities that the, uh, the administrators are going through at the uh, Shortly after the unfolding of FTX, Biden made a statement requesting an international corporation to regulate the crypto assets market. You know, it, it, that, that's that's great to hear. Lewis, what's your thoughts on that? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's uh, it's it's an important development. Um, I think uh, the one of the one of the problems around this I alluded to earlier is the fact that every jurisdiction is taking their own approach to this. And that leaves, you know, people who want to conduct legitimate business in the cryptocurrency industry uh, somewhat at a loss uh, for how to comply with regulations in, in different jurisdictions. Um, you know, on FIF, we've tried to to make some sense of of that web with a, we, we've produced a, a tracker. Uh, just giving a snapshot of the regulatory position in, in some of the key jurisdictions around the world, which 
uh, you can you can see on our website. But um, until that that's helpful for the moment. But until we get some international harmony of the sort that the Biden is looking for, it's it's going to remain very challenging for people to uh, operate legitimately and, and safely in this space. If anyone is interested uh, to find out more about our digital asset regulation tracker, as well as uh, any of the other work we're doing, do head over to our website at omfif.org forward slash DMI. You can find everything from our private roundtables and public conferences, as well as podcast reports and uh, trackers, everything right on that page. Uh, thanks to everyone for listening in. Thank you, Lewis, for sitting down today with me. It's been a pleasure speaking with you. Pleasure's mine. Thank you. And if any of our listeners have any requests, ideas, or questions for Lewis or I or any other speakers, do drop us an email at inquiries at omfif.org and we will be sure to address them in our next podcast. If you want to follow latest developments as they do come out, do make sure to also follow us on LinkedIn and Twitter. The Twitter handle is OMFIFDMI and the LinkedIn handle is OMFIF Digital Monetary Institute. Thank you everybody for listening in and we wish you all a very jolly Christmas holiday break. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the OMFIF podcast. 